Oh, I don't have your volume. There we go. How's ah. it going? <laughs> Man, I I freaking hate computers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, man, when things start going sideways like that, it's like, are you kidding me? Because I find stuff like that a huge waste of people's time. <laughs> yeah, that's not a big deal. I got a bunch of stuff done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I had to do some banking stuff and I wasn't online and my wife says, you should get online. I was like, why? I don't need to. So I go <laughs> online. I talk to the guy. He goes, well, what do you have here? It's like, in order to get online, I had to be online. It's, yeah. it's great. I was like, okay, here. This is my wife. She has permission to handle. She's the financier in the family. <laughs> Talk to her. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's like I used to run the racing program up here in Telemark Ski, Ontario, and we would do all the tabulating by hand, and everybody would say, you, you should get a spreadsheet. I was like, dude, I'm a dumb phys ed shop teacher. I don't know jack about spreadsheets. It's like, <laughs> and then I said, the next person who opens their mouth is going to make it for me. And you know what? They did. <laughs> <laughs> we have specialists for specific reasons, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let's get this going. So uh, I've got Jonathan Capozzi from Old Growth Skis here on the Skipper Report. And we're not far from each other, probably just three hours. He's in Buffalo, New York. And I yeah, discovered so, his uh, his brand online. So give us a little backstory about who you are, Jonathan. So I'm Jonathan Capozzi. Yeah, I live in Buffalo. Um, pretty much always lived in Buffalo, surrounding areas. Grew up in Clarence, the suburb outside of it. Um, grew up and I was pretty into bikes. That was bikes, snowboarding, skateboarding. That was my biggest thing. Growing up, I was a snowboarder the whole time started snowboarding when I was like single digits, I think seven or eight years old. Um, started snowboarding at Kissing Bridge. So down in Colden. Yep. Um, so yeah, I got like a learn to ski or learn to snowboard package there um, for Christmas one year and dug into that pretty deep. Um, but I also, yeah, I was riding BMX a lot. That was really like one of my bigger passions it was a little easier for me to get out um, I could pretty much do that every day so that was the thing um, and that was pretty much my identity as a kid I was into ride BMX I played some team sports and stuff too um, and then went on through into college and went to SUNY Oswego for technology education no way cool um, yeah so SUNY Oswego is a great school as far as the tech ed program um, I'm definitely glad that that's what I went to school for. It was a really valuable education. It was really wide ranging. So anything from, um, I mean, woodworking, metalworking, we took a plastics composites course, design courses, architecture, all of that along with like the standard college liberal arts, gen ed requirements. Um, I took a bunch of like philosophy classes too. Um, I was involved in the art program. I didn't take a ton of art courses, but I was really into photography. That was another thing when I was in high school. Um, I definitely, that was part of my identity too. I was a big photographer. I worked at the camera store. I had two jobs in high school. I worked at a camera store and I worked at a bike shop. Oh, nice. So, um, I was, and that's kind of been one thread that's carried me through. If there's something that I really am into, I dive pretty deep into it. Right. Um, your birthday's not in September, is it? No, it's in February. Oh, okay. <laughs> my, well, my, mine's in September. And when I go into something like that, I dive deep. My wife will, will uh confirm that 
Yeah, yeah. I dive pretty deep into most of the things that I do. Hence the reason that we're having a conversation right now. Right. But um, so I, yeah, I was really into photography too. Um, so I did that throughout college and everything. I had a dark room in my basement that I built. Um, so I still have some of my cameras. Some of them are behind me. Um, where'd they go? They got actually moved somewhere else, it looks like. But um, yeah, I, uh, full realm of digital cameras film cameras um cool. shooting large format stuff four by five and wow medium format work so yeah the, the darkroom setup was pretty sweet i had a couple different enlargers one for four by five stuff one for 35 mil and uh 120 film so um pretty serious into that um i almost went to school for photography i was really close um that was one of the bigger that was definitely a fork in the road for me where I was like, do I want to really pursue photography or do I want to go into something different? And kind of the decision hinged on if I'm going to make an investment in my education, that's going to cost, I mean, I don't know, like $80,000 or whatever it is to go to a state school, 20,000 20, bucks a year. If I'm going to be spending $20,000 a year on college, I should probably be doing that in something that is going to give me like a direct return or right. in this example, um, a license to teach. Whereas photography, I would have gotten a great education and I, w- I wasn't going to go to Oswego for that. I had a, I had gotten into RIT and was going to go there, but right. um, that was kind of the deciding factor in that. I'm, I've thought a couple of times, like what would my trajectory have been if I had followed that path? Um, but I'm very happy with the education I got right. from Oswego. It's yeah. a really, like I said, really well-rounded as far as materials processing, understanding all of the materials um, that kind of make up the man-made world and then the design processes that allow you to work with them. Yeah. So those were super valuable in me following the paths that I'm on now. And I'm really happy that I did them. So, And, and you know what? The people, listeners, they don't know the backstory of the conversation you and I had setting this up because (laughs) I would imagine that we're at least 20 years difference in our, in our careers. I'm done. You're probably in the middle of your career, but we're both like carpenters, woodworkers. You know, I I went to school, uh, played basketball in university and, and I was, yeah, I'll be a phys ed teacher. But when I went for an interview for a job, they were offering me design and technology and it's like, okay, so what's that? And they said, well, you got to go back to school. And I was like, I just finished school, man. I, I don't want to go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to go back to school, take my design and tech credentials. And, and as we were talking earlier, we've, I've had some uh, technical difficulties with computers updating here. We were talking about education and it sounds like when you were talking about materials processing, we call that material science up here. And yep. we, it sounds like we covered a lot of the same, same courses. Cause I, I taught design and technology and uh, with engineering themes, because I'm not an engineer, I can't teach engineering. But yeah, I would, we would talk about, teach about uh, trusses and, you know, building stuff. And the kids would build, uh, uh, they had a challenge. Everything was done, taught as a challenge. And then they would yeah. have, I would teach them, you know, stuff about trusses or one of the other challenges might be gearing. So we'd learn about gearing and all that sort of stuff. And then yeah. they would have to uh, build a machine to solve the problem and test it. And it was, it was really cool. So yeah, it's a super engaging way for students to uh, experience a lot of the stuff that they do in their other core content areas. So that's one thing that I kind of, I present to a lot of my students is we 
are taking everything you're doing in your math and your science courses. And even in a lot of like, if you're putting these things into context, your history and social science courses also, um, and kind of giving them an application that you don't necessarily get to see. Right. So when you take those core content areas and put them into context, what you get is a technology course. So, um, so yeah, it's really fun. It's really, it's a great job, but right now, yeah, it's been a challenging year and I'm actually taking the next year um, off as a bit of a sabbatical unpaid leave kind of situation. We'll see if I end up going back, but I have a bunch of other work that I've been doing. So I build a lot of furniture as well as skis. I was going to ask you if you're a cabinet maker. Yeah, uh, so I built some cabinetry, a lot of furniture as far as like – tables, benches, hardwood stuff that a lot of like design solutions that people can't find. Right. So like, I don't know, I had a client that needed like a really long, uh, some really long benches for a restaurant. Like, well, yeah, that was the restaurant in Ellicottville. Yeah. So there's that one. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to end up building, they're doing like another upstairs area. Um, they're kind of expanding that. So I'm going to do a bunch more work for them this summer. Right. And then there's this, I'm building like a bunch of radiator covers for a house. They wanted like cool hardwood radiator covers. They kind of look like a, uh, not necessarily shaker style, but they have like these vertical styles. If you follow along on the, uh, the old Instagram, you've probably seen some of that. Um, so yeah, they want like 15 of these things that are very specific. Um, and they got some like quotes from a cabinet shop to do it, but nobody really wanted to do it because they're all different sizes and like kind of weird stuff where it's not really like a straightforward process. So that's kind of a niche that I've found that I've been able to fill a little bit. So I'm going to, after this really frustrating and challenging year, I'm going to give that a whirl and see how things go. And also, yeah, I want to do quite a bit more with the, uh, with the old growth side building skis. So I'll have, um, yeah, maybe do a little demo tour this winter. I'm kind of trying cool. to plan that out and uh, trying to get around and, yeah, spend more time in the shop. It's really challenging right now. Like, um, there's only so many hours in the day. Right. And I'm at my current teaching job thinking about all the things that I could be getting done in my shop that I would rather be doing that also would provide a level of income so it's like huh like get that i have time for like get that cnc router going that you uh you and your buddies installed yeah i just pretty much (laughs) have been everything that i've done so far has been like pretty much just investing back into itself yeah um and yeah i just ordered that and got that all set up and not totally set up and installed i like the last couple of days outside of trying to get these uh, that other job finished. There's not only those radiator covers, but some of them are going to have cabinets in between them. So oh, it'll be cool. like a big unit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like grain match drawers, push to open. It's going to be like pretty sweet when it's all done. Nice. Um, but I've got to get that finished up as well as, yeah, I'm building just cabinets and storage for all the Stancy router, like kind of accoutrement, like mm-hmm. the controller and computer and all of that has, and it's all it, like the space that it fits in to make it work in the shop is like I had to build a cabinet kind of around a structural post. So right. it's not like a rectangular cabinet. It's like an L shaped cabinet so that I can get all of the components into this small area that it needs to fit into. Right, right. So, um, 
So yeah, it's just uh, moving and shaking, problem solving. It's just that, super engaging to do, and I'm that's carpentry half the time, man. Is problem solving. Yeah, <laughs> and more than anything, like fixing your last mistake. So I built a. So yeah, going back to like my um, kind of process after school, getting into or like doing more design and woodworking on my own. I was like building canoes. I built a couple of canoes and was doing some other similar work like that. And then started building some more furniture and I bought a house and did the whole thing. That's where I am right now. So nice. this is my house. Very and nice. yeah, I gutted it down to studs and rebuilt everything and new cabinets. And is it an older home? Yeah. It, was yeah, it looks like it with the archway so. there. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that archway, that's, that's the only wall we left. Right. Um, with that archway, cause we didn't want to have to like drywall it or replaster it. And the wall was in good <laughs> shape except for the bottom of it. Right. So we, I put up like this wainscoting paneling yeah. kind of thing. I like um, how it's high too. It's uh, kind of cool. Yeah. So there was actually, so it was weird. The wall had popcorn halfway up it to that line. Oh, that's, who would do that? I have no idea. I know this, the, the house I'm well, working on. I do on. know who, the people who lived here before <laughs> us. But, um, so they, yeah, they were old. They lived here for like 30 something years and they had done all of the popcorn stuff that was here. Um, so, yeah, I still had to scrape it even before I put that paneling up because right. you couldn't really put the paneling over top of it. Um, but, yeah, so house was built in 1900. Like, the, right here, you can see there was a wall here. Right. That beam is boxed out. Right, yep. Um, and it's actually, there's not a beam. So the whole thing is kind of wonky. And if you're into houses, um, there was a wall here. Yeah. And yeah, you can see the threshold there. The so listeners, the, the listeners can't see, so we're looking at home renovations and knocking out walls. And <laughs> people who know me personally know that I do that sort of stuff, also. Yeah. So yeah, removing walls and uh, yeah, there. It just the house is built really funky. Yeah. There's like instead of having it, it's built with planks, like kind of yeah. post and beam style. With instead of sheathing, there's just like 20 inch wide pine boards, and. Um, there's this beam that's not held up by anything except for square taper nails. No way. Yeah. So like this, there's like this ridge that's not supported by anything. It's just nailed in with square taper nails. Wow. We ended up putting a post under it and like burying it in the drywall. Yeah. But um, yeah, we were looking at it like this house has been standing for 120 years or at that point, 115 years. And yeah, like hopes and dreams. There's nothing. Yeah. There's no jack studs under anything. Oh, that's like um, the yeah. house The house I'm working on. It's 120 years old also, and it's balloon construction. So basically, yeah. except for one north-south wall, there are no weight-bearing walls. And, yeah. and, and the studs are 2x14s or 2x16s. So I've been saving them and giving them to my kids so that they can make shelves or countertops yeah. for their bars and all that sort of stuff but yeah it's, it's uh, funny i actually so there were a bunch of those same like two by 14 or 18 or whatever they had boards they were laying around our wood shop and two by fours are so expensive i just ripped them all down into actual two by fours and like built a lumber rack out of them because <laughs> yeah this lumber rack was going to cost me like a thousand dollars wow so yeah i just used a bunch of old like house sheathing boards and ripped them all down to size yeah so. So now, now we've got the intro out of the way and your backstory and that sort of stuff. And everybody's going, oh, man, here are these guys geeking out on carpentry and woodworking. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know about that ski press that you built. So Adam is a Telemark skier. So am I. Yeah. And 
you obviously know a little more about skis than I do. Um, and it might just be because of my size. I'm like six foot six, 275 pounds. So I can usually wrestle around any ski. And so there is, um, uh, I don't know what you call it. A, a specific sort of hot spot, sweet spot, I guess, in skis that, which is a little different for Telemark than Alpine skis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyways, Adam built, or sorry, um, Jonathan built his own ski press. So yep. it took you what, 500 hours or something like that? Uh, the whole pro building the whole process. So not just the press itself, right. the press itself. I mean, there's a lot of drilling through steel, which is like not exactly the most fun active time, but like just, yeah, standing over a drill for hours on end. I didn't well, so I built the whole thing, part of it. So the process of building it was, um, I got a bunch of steel beams from one of my friends who sells steel and there was a, it was nice. We had a nice trade go on. So one of the first set of prototypes, he got some skis and I got the beams out of the press Nice. and they drilled some of the holes, but the beams that I ended up getting weren't the size that I wanted. There was some deflection in the press. So I added extra ones. Right. Um, so the press itself, essentially there was a void in the center and I filled it with another round of uh, beams. So yeah, I was just drilling through. I think I said, counted that I drilled through like it's like 20 inches of steel to make a half inch hole <laughs> just cu- like cumulative yes and yes I did, yeah. yeah so some of the holes had previously been drilled with like a mag drill which is essentially a magnetic drill press yeah. which is a little easier but I did not have access to one at this at, retroactively I should have rented one or something right. but um yeah so a lot of time building it designing it figuring out like I mean, I built the controller and circuitry for it. So it has uh, parallel 220 circuits that run 4,000 watts of heating units. Wow. And it's all controlled with thermocouples and so on and so forth. Um, Yeah, building the press itself was a couple hundred hours, and the rest of the process was a couple hundred hours just to get everything figured out, the fixturing. Like I've designed a lot of the fixturing and built it twice because I like ran tests and it didn't right, work right. or it worked, but not the way that I wanted it to, or it wasn't adjustable enough. It had like some adjustment to it. So in designing the process for the whole thing, it was figuring out how exactly do you, um, how exactly do you design the process so you can manufacture not just one ski or size, but all of the ranges and have equipment that can adjust to comp or to accommodate anything from 160 to 190 mil ski. Right. Or even you could go 130 realistically, but um, yeah. So what is that process and how do you do it? A lot of it, not just the press itself, but like, how are you going to taper cores effectively and accurately? Right. Um, How are you going to cut different parts um, precisely. So yeah. there was a lot of figuring out there. There's definitely some good resources available. Um, and I can I had some good contact with some individuals that had previously done it. Um, I wasn't necessarily charting a course for the first time. Um, but I still, yeah, problem solving on your own, yeah. trying to get everything dialed in. And, and for the listeners, I'm going to try and link in your Instagram account, you have yeah, a, yeah. There's a link yeah, there with the a video. Too. Oh, is okay. Cool. Yeah. So we'll yeah, put all that stuff. 
Yeah. So I, while we're on there, so where do people find you? Yeah, so I'm at Old Growth Ski Co. on um, Instagram and oldgrowthskico.com for the web. That's cool. So, yeah, those are the – and, yeah, Jonathan at oldgrowthskico.com if you want to shoot me an email. There's some email links in the uh, website too. Yeah. I, I love old – I love wood skis. That's – I think that was one of the things when I saw your skis and it's like old growth. I was like – I got to get in touch with this guy and, yeah, and yeah. talk and, yeah, thanks. and that sort of stuff. So what led you down the road to want to build your own skis? I know Telemark skis, they, you know, be a little different than an Alpine ski. We generally just use Alpine skis and make do. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, so yeah, going back to like my kind of process. So when I was in college, I was spending, I kind of stopped snowboarding because snowboarding wasn't as easily accessible. Um, but I was spending a ton of time cross country skiing. So I was getting out in Oswego, they get a bunch of snow and I was doing like, I don't know, 50, pretty much three times of three, four times a week, I was getting out cross country skiing. So 50, 60 times a year, I was getting out, scooting around in the woods. Sometimes I'd go to golf courses, but there was some really good, like, um, just kind of nature area parks that you could go scoot around and Norik ski. And there were some that had trails and some that didn't. And I was doing like orienteering maps too. Yep. So I was like scooting around in the woods on cross country skis with a map and a compass trying to like find these points. And um, there were a bunch of times where I got into situations where I was traveling downhill <laughs> where I like cross country ski and I didn't, know how like i was had very very little control just pray even like now as like a reasonable telemark skier on a bat like a cross-country ski i have minimal ability to control and that's just like a boot problem oh that, that um, yeah, exactly because you know what i grew up as a nordic skier all my life in quebec we moved here to ontario in 1977 and and we had uh in quebec we had a really nice nordic ski center where we lived and so i was like where do you cross country ski? And people were like, what's that? You know, it's like, yeah. are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, we now have it here. And I do a lot of, we have uh, conservation areas or forests that have some trails, but uh, they're not groomed. We usually groom our own trails. And this year in the pandemic, my daughter lives in 541 acres. She's got the one acre. Oh, heck but, yeah. But uh, the farmer owns the land, allows us to use it in the wintertime. Uh, because she takes care of his property and that sort of stuff. So, you know, we were able to cross-country ski, snowshoe, all that sort of stuff. So that that was my sort of same uh, approach to telemark skiing coming from Yeah, Nordic so background. growing up, I remember always watching, like, when I was snowboarding, I would watch telemark skiers from the lift and be like, I want to do that so bad. Oh, yeah. I, so I was just – I was a punk kid snowboarding, like, playing around in the train park and, I don't know, just – being a teenager. And then, yeah, I got really into cross-country skiing, was doing that a ton all through college. And then I graduated and started going to the ski club with my school, um, a chaperoning ski club on a snowboard. And I was also like still backcountry cross-country skiing a lot. And I wanted to learn to telemark ski. So I hit up some of my friends through bike racing. Um, I ride mountain bikes and road bikes and cyclocross and all that stuff too. Um, and yeah, I had some friends that taught me how to telemark ski and yeah, we got into that and that's, nice. that was pretty much the path. And then after a little bit of time on, I had a 
friend had some like Salomon 90 mil skis that he let me borrow. And then I ended up buying from him that had like hammerheads and an old set of three buckle T ones. Yep. So I had those that were like two sizes too big. And <laughs> mine were two sizes too small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should have traded. So this, yeah, they're 28 and a half. So I run a 26 and a half now. I'm, I'm um, a 31. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some 28 and a half T ones in the basement if you need them. Um, so yeah, so I learned how to Telmar ski. And after a couple of years on those, I wanted a new pair and I was looking at the market and none of the skis that were available were anything that I was like super interested in one, they were all Alpine branded, um, which really honestly, even like making skis, you can make a ski that's more telemark specific, but you can ski pretty darn well on an Alpine ski. Like it's not. Yeah. The difference is you can definitely have subtle differences that will make a ski function better with flex profile and turn radius on and so forth. But you can get by pretty all right on now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Everybody does it now. It's just like, I remember I'm good friends with Josh Madsen at free hill life. And uh, back in, Oh, I don't know how many years ago, four years ago, maybe five years ago, he told me he was working on a special project and he put a, a little thing out feeler out there. He goes, okay, you East coasters, what are you skiing on? So I shot him what I was skiing on. And then I found out he was making the uh, free heel life brand skis. Yeah. So it's like, dude, I will buy your first pair of skis. So I got a, the first pair of switch blades that nice. he and Todd Harilla uh, built. And I, I tell you, man, those skis, oh, they're so nice. They're Yeah. I was in- I went down there and checked it out a couple of years ago when I was in Salt Lake. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. They looked really good. Yeah. Yeah. So then now I've, now he's getting back into making the protector. Yeah. I just listened to that episode that he did with that guy, Todd yeah. and uh, following along. It looks like he's getting dirty doing production himself. Which yeah. Is so awesome. I told, I told him, I said, well, you know what? It makes sense that I bought your first pair of free hill life brand. I got to buy another pair of these, but I'm thinking, when you and I meet up, hopefully this winter, and we get to ski down in Ellicottville, if I could uh, take a pair of skis for a run and see, it's like oh, yeah, I'm going to have to add another pair of uh, wood skis to my collection. Yeah, and plus one, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cycling yeah. And, and skiing, right? Yeah, same thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I was, yeah, looking at the market after um, some time skiing and trying to kind of figure out what I wanted to get. And nothing really seemed super interesting. Yeah, there was like the free hill life stuff I actually came across. Um, but there wasn't too much that was one telemark specific or two um, not owned by a multinational corporation. Right. Um, so I am just somebody who likes to make the stuff that I use. Yeah. Like, great I mean, satisfaction in that. Yeah. Yeah. Just that's one. I enjoy making things and two, I enjoy using things. So I'm generally able to do both of those things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as I was looking at like the actual construction of a ski, um, they're all materials that I have a lot of experience using. Like I was, I had built a multiple canoes doing fiberglass composite layups, like cedar strip jobs. Yep. And then I had done a bunch of like precision woodworking, building furniture. Yeah. So I was comfortable, like after looking into the process, I was comfortable doing all the steps to the process. But the thing that I was not comfortable with was building the press. Right. And if you build the press and invest the time and money into it, um, 
you're gonna build more than one pair. Like you can vacuum bag stuff, right? Um, but the amount of pressure you can apply is less, and yeah. the results are varied. They're good if you're gonna do a couple, but if you are gonna invest the time and money, like I said, I had a pretty decent source for steel that I was able to yeah. do some bartering. I'm a big fan of the barter economy. You can kind of hey, when you have trades like you money. and I have. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's yeah. a great way to do it. <laughs> it is. So I'm actually looking right now. We'll see what happens, but there's a piece of woodworking equipment that I'm trying to buy. There's like this, uh, it's a 16-inch joiner. Yes. So like a real big joiner. That's, yeah, that's huge, um, man. So I'm talking to this guy in Chicago about it, and he's like, oh, I'm a skier. Your skis look great. And I was like, well, the cost of the skis is similar to the cost. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to so I'm trying to negotiate that. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, big kind of the barber economy. Hey, have you got a big thickness planer? So the shop that I'm in that I'm working out of, we have it's a shared shop space. One of my good friends is a carpenter, and him and I are actually we are just exchanging careers. Like he's a carpenter and he's getting into teaching tech. Right. And I'm a tech teacher getting into carpent like woodworking yeah. full time. Yeah. So he um so our I'm sharing the space that he had previously worked out of and they're yep. his tools and we're like figuring out how, yeah, I just took over the lease on the space and most of the equipment is still his, but I'm trying to take that over too. I, I'm so just wondering, I'm looking for a gigantic thickness planer cause uh, I've been doing some black walnut work Yep. and I had the local teacher uh, drop one piece off and I, I don't think – I think he had the kids do it, and they didn't support the in-feed and the out-feed, so there were some deep gouges on each end, and I didn't yeah. really want to shorten it. And uh, so I that was the first project. This next one is a, a dining table that I'm making that's seven feet long and about 40 inches wide. Yeah. And, and it's like the best thing would be to do is to assemble it and then put it through the thickness planer. Just to yeah. make it all even, but uh, it's it's hard to find something that big. <laughs> yeah, so most of the time, like if somebody's doing something forty inches wide, they would you do two twenty inch sections yeah. and then glue it after the fact. Yeah, like the, we only have a twelve inch. So what I was getting into is we have the twelve inch, it's a twelve inch joiner planer combo. Okay, so yeah, it flips back and forth. It's really nice to have a twelve inch joiner. Yeah, it's not that great to have a twelve inch planer. The bed on it's kind of short, so it's hard for longer pieces. Like right. as I think it's a fifty-six inch joiner bed, right? And especially and when the wood is heavy. Down. Yeah, yeah. As you flip it up, we have like in-feed and out-feed tables that are okay. specially yeah. built for it, but still, like that's not perfectly accurate. And when you're doing like I don't know, if you're trying to glue a ten-foot joint, yeah. like that's uh, it's challenging to do. Yeah, the biggest um, joint or the, the biggest planer I've seen in my career is like just thirty-six inches. So yeah, and. Like I've done some stuff. The guy who previously cut out my patterns for ski making, yeah, um, I draw everything up, and then I would essentially I'd take my CAD drawing and I'd load everything onto a forty-eight by ninety-six inch panel. Yeah, and then I would send him the panel and say, "Cut the outside of all these lines with like a three-eighths inch end mill," and he right. would make all my patterns for me. Mm -hmm. And um, he has also a thirty-six inch wide belt sander. Oh wow. So he would, I have previously had him, like I would do a glue up and then he would like finally flatten it. It's kind of a hassle because they have to load shit in the car, drive it back and yeah, forth. And yeah, what yeah. I do now is just, I use a hand plane yeah. and like 
get your glue up as dialed as you can yeah. and yeah. you can do a good job. And then if you have like, I don't know, 16th to 32nd out in areas, yeah, I go at it with a hand plane and flatten it and then sand it myself. Yeah. So the hand plane is, I would say the best way to actually flatten a top yeah. if you don't have the appropriate equipment with which yeah. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, so Telemark skis. Or skis, yeah. skis built for Telemark skiers. So yeah, with the intention of Telemark skiing. Yeah, yeah. So what what is the difference? I would imagine it's in the core. Yeah. So when I am tapering a core, yeah. If I'm doing it for like I've built skis for alpine skiers too. Yeah. Um, most of the people that I've sold skis to are like most of my friends are on Telemark skis, but um. The, I generally will have, instead of a larger flat area where you would mount a binding to, I would have a pretty like, it would be like an eight inch section where you would mount your toe piece and that area would be generally flat for mounting. And it also will allow more of a round flex profile um, for a Telmar ski. And then you can, I've played around with um, some radius stuff too. Right. Doing a sharper radius at the tip of the ski to try and engage your turn a little faster. Right. Um, and then allow your tail to kind of slarve around a little bit. Right. Um, so that's been really fun, and I've liked the results of that too. That kind of um, sounds like the Protector 95 that I'm getting. Are, do they do something like that with the... Uh, yeah, I was, talk, I was talking to, to Taylor because uh, everybody who were going to get a pair mm-hmm. sent an email to Free Heal Life, and then Taylor called you and gave you all the specifics so we were comparing the protector 95 with the switchblade and yep. the switchblade is uh 130 93 120 more east coast profile yep. and and these uh protector 95s have a little bit of a tip rise um and a little bit of a tail uh tail rise but he says it it the way they've done it and the wood that they've used in inside it allows the um, tip to activate quicker and yeah. and the tail to smoosh a bit if yep. you need it to. Or, you know, I, I'm, I've got some bad knee, knee injuries, so I, I'm like an old lady and I stick to the groomers most days. But I ski at Mach 2. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, and Taylor does too. So I've skied with him and it, it's like, yeah, yeah, the, these, these will work. He and I are on the same wavelength when it comes to skis and that sort of stuff. So Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. So it sounds yeah, so like I'm, your profile is very similar to the Protector 95 series. Yeah, it's funny. As I was listening to that podcast that they were talking about it, it's uh, so dark. I have a couple of different models, but that's pretty similar to the dark side that I make. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, that's like East Coast. Tele ski pretty much is that dark side 98 gets you pretty much it's a tight radius. So it's like a 15 meter ra- average. Okay. So a little tighter. Um, I like to do a lot of tight technical turns. That's kind of the way I like to ski. Wow. You know what? We don't ski the trees like they do out West. We ski the woods, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Our stuff is like, <laughs> you're going through three in- or three foot gaps. Like if you got a three foot gap, that's a big one. Yeah, I know. Cause uh, when the guys at Free Hill Life went up to uh, the uh, Midwest Telefest there, I think it was at Mount Bohemia or, or something like yeah. it, some of them got an introduction to skiing the woods. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a different game. Different game for sure. Close your eyes. I remember cross-country skiing in one of the forests up here at night. I had my headlamp on, and there was a little whoop-de-doo right before this sharp 90-degree turn, and my headlamp flashed down into my eyes and I couldn't do anything so my skis tracked I made my shoulders small and I just yeah. brushed the big tree that I went by on the curve so yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's good yeah you need turny skis in the woods yeah definitely um so yeah that's yeah that's that ski and then yeah there's a bit of a line so yeah bark eater one of bark eater line there's the same general side cut profile just one is 102 and one's 112 and that's like a little more surfy less camber um it actually has it's a 17 meter radius so still pretty tight right but um still pretty tight but definitely pivots around a lot easier yeah less camber more rocker tip and tail this one has like significantly more tail rocker right um so and significant yeah pretty much 40 ish centimeters and 25 centimeters respective tip and tail rocker right um so yeah that's those are kind of the main skis that i use um how do you arrive at the geometry and the dimensions just by riding a variety of skis and taking note or yeah riding different stuff and taking note and also like I teach computer-aided drawing, so I'm looking at all of these numbers and profiles, and I feel like in looking at them, I'm able to, I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with how the numbers are going to impact how a ski is going to feel. Okay. Um, And not only like the actual like numbers of the geometry profile and like where the radiuses are located and so on and so forth, but also like how a ski is going to move based on like the actual composite layup. Right. Like if it's stiffer in a tip, it's not going to bend as much. Therefore your radius will be, your radius will not increase as you lay into the ski at the same way. Right. Right. Yeah. So like a ski is dynamic. It's moving on multiple axes. So right, like it's yes. trying to rotate. It's also flexing. A lot of things are going on. And you have, I mean, you have a static shape insofar as you have like a profile, like a you have a side cut profile, but that becomes different side cut profiles as you apply forces to different areas of the ski. And I so guess like, I guess torsion along the ski affects all that too, right? Yeah, so as you like as I've built things and tested them and made tweaks, yeah. I've gotten a better understanding and yeah, using other skis and looking at the actual profiles and numbers of those along with the materials and thicknesses and like I have a friend who runs a ski shop and he will give me skis and I'll cut them apart. Right. And like look at what's going on inside and it's not just like the ski is 12 millimeter. The core is 12 millimeters thick at the boot center and it's two millimeters thick at the end. It's like, where is it? Eight millimeters thick. Is it eight millimeters thick? 40 centimeters from center or right. 60 centimeters for center. Like the amount of progression in the taper has a huge impact on how that ski is going to flex and work. Right. Um, and how a ski is going to flex is going to impact how it's going to turn right. because 
those things are all interrelated as you apply forces to something and it becomes a dynamic, um, dynamic shape. So, so I'm going to ask you a question that hopefully drives the listeners to that video about you laying up a set of skis. So when, when I was watching the video and you're putting a black material down, uh, a sheet of it, is is that carbon? Yeah. Okay. And then, and then you had pieces on a diagonal across. Also carbon. Okay. All right. Okay. And then I saw you had glass and epoxy and and, and that. Yeah. So that has carbon in, um, so that is the eerie shape. So that's like the groomer ski. Okay. Um, what are we? 85 mil. It's funny. Like these numbers, 88 mil. So as I go through different prototypes, there's different versions. Right. And yeah. not only different versions that like become physical versions, but the versions in my mind. Right. I'm like, <laughs> so, um, like drawing up a ski is not just like, Oh, these are the numbers I want it to be. Here we go. It's like, when you change a waist width, you also change the radius or the tip width or like there's so many. Well, that's like the Scotty so Bob, things. right? The Scotty Bob, you probably, the Scotty Bob, you probably looked at those skis. Yeah, I've actually never used, or I'm sorry, I did use them once, but it was not a very good experience because the ski had not been tuned in probably oh. four or five years. So I used Scotty Bob's once, but it was, and then it was not a good day for a Scotty right. Bob. Yeah, you know what? I have a pair of Scotty Bobs, and uh, I, they were powder skis back in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're 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 as wide as my my uh, switchblades up in the tip, one hundred and thirty. But yeah. we're people who aren't familiar with the Scotty Bob. It's an asymmetrical ski that has a tighter radius on the inside, and and if you allowed the the two different radiuses to flare out to the tip, you'd have one gigantic tip. So they got this swallowtail cut on the outside to make it uh, more maneuverable, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would like to have a good day on a pair. They're beautiful, and it would be fun to use them. This was like – I was at Gore, yeah, and I was ran into this guy, and he wanted to demo a pair. So I skied his skis, and he skied mine. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something. I don't ski mine anymore. And I will bring them down, and they're yours. Yeah, they're du- they're they're double camber though. They're like Nordic skis. Yeah, yeah. I I think yeah, you'd have be fun to play with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They were uh yeah. So this was I was at Gore. It was boilerplate. Oh and yeah, yeah. The ski had not been tuned in years, right. so it was a. Uh, it was not the Scotty Bob's fault. It yep. was. I don't even know. I never even got the dude's name. I was right. just like rode the lift with him, and he was like, "I want to try those." And I was like, "Yeah, here you go, man." Yeah. So, um, well, there you go. You got a, got yourself a pair of Scotty Bobs because mine have been sitting li- around. If he's listening. I hope he. Uh, I hope he's tuned. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's not the tool. It's the tool maintainer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In some yeah, in some capacity. Yeah. Cool. So, so yeah, that's yeah my limited experience with Scotty. But yeah, so that uh, that layup that you had seen was the Erie, which is yeah, eighty-eight mil underfoot. It's pretty much the uh, yeah the groomer ski. That's the narrowest that I I've made narrower skis, but that is the narrowest that right. I am putting out to the public. I made an eighty mil like slalomish ski. It's not a slalom ski because it's eighty mil and it's a little wider, but it's like a thirteen meter radius. Right. Um, and 
yeah, fun tourney, super stiff. Right. The tail on it is like, if you get in the back seat, you are shot. <laughs> I've got a pair of skis like that from when I used to race, and up around here, you know, it's like Ellicottville, right? And yeah. I think I can only manage three turns on these skis because they're 29-meter radius. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they have yeah. double titanium in them. And I was like, oh man, I figured I could ski on them, but it's like it's getting on a wild horse, right? Just hanging on. Yes, seven hundred <laughs> feet doesn't go very far with a twenty nine meter radius. <laughs> no, no, that's for sure. That's that's pretty much the point for as far as like that's half the reason we have uh, the skis that I build have tighter radiuses, right? Because I'm skiing smaller areas. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to make the most of it. So I'm making small turns the whole way down tight technical stuff through bumps and whatever right. soft snow I could find. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you said you're from Quebec. Where in Quebec? Uh, I, I grew up, uh, on the outskirts of Montreal. Okay. Uh, so I am a huge fan of Montreal. We go there oh, somewhat you? frequently. Yeah. My wife and I really enjoy it as a city and we go ski, up in like the uh, Eastern townships area. There's just a bunch of good fun skiing around there. Well, you know what? You're going to have to come and visit me at my cottage, which is in the Eastern townships. What town? uh, Ayers Cliff, North Hatley. Okay. So on the other side, on the west side of my lake, I I face west, is, uh, you know, an old Appalachian mountain. On the other side of that is Mount Orford. From, okay, yeah, skied Orford. From my road. waterfront, I can see the very top of Owl's Head. Yeah. Uh, from is that up, Magog, that lake? Magog, yes. Yeah. Mag- is Magog? Okay, yeah, yeah, Magog. Yeah, so uh, there's a hill between Magog and Ayers Cliff. Okay. And uh, kind of a little range, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'd have to uh, get together and do a trip down there because I consider Jay my home mountain when I'm at the cottage. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you, we ski, you know, um, Burke, Sunday River, uh, Sugarloaf. Um, I think, I oh, we've gone to Smugs. I haven't gone to, uh, oh, what's on the other side of Smugs, the big one there? Um, Stowe. Stowe, yeah, I haven't done that because it's, like, way too expensive. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, like, as somebody who likes small businesses, I go to the small businesses. I have no desire to go to. We have a mountain that I, I, we bought our ski pass at in Quebec, Owl's Head. And like some locals bought it from the family who owned it for, I don't know how many years and they're reinvesting in it. And it's like, they have a midweek pass for the winter. It's $99. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, so it's like that's you can't even get a Vail day ticket. No, and and the thing is that's with double the or that's half the price. Yeah, of a ticket. To yeah, start. and and then and then there's um on the weekends you can't use it on the weekends that pass, but the pass allows you to buy two adult tickets at fifty percent off and four kids tickets at fifty percent off. Yeah, you know, that's like crazy. I I go there just to support those guys. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm a big fan of supporting people who do stuff like that and they're they're not jacking the price on, yeah. on ski heels. Yeah, last time we were there, I really wanted to go to Owl's Head, but I didn't because they didn't have much open. It was early and there wasn't yes. a lot of great snow. Yeah. Um, yeah, we skied um, Orford, which was good, um, but it was still like a low snow. Was it, it, was, it was probably in December or early yeah, January. Yeah, it was. It was, yeah. Um, it was right before Christmas. 
So school got out. My wife and I shot up there for the, for like a long weekend. I think yeah. we did like four days and then we came back, um, before the actual holiday. Well, if you're going to be on your sabbatical next year, you could go there for longer. Cause I've been yeah, trying to we'll get see. the guys from free Hill life. I said, fly into Burlington, Vermont. It's 90 minutes from my cottage. Montreal is 90 minutes. I said, I'll pick you up at the airport. We'll come up for five, seven days of skiing. Yeah. Yeah. I would, that would be super fun. Yeah. I yeah, love Montreal and just the East, there's the culture in that area is super fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There. And yeah, in the summer we'll go up to Quebec city. I haven't been up to Quebec city in the winter. I so we have, but not to, or no, no, we just, that trip, we just did Montreal. Right. We, yeah. We go on trips to that area. Pretty frequently. Le Massif is an awesome place to ski. Yeah, so that as well as the small one. What Mont is it, Massif du Sud? Oh, Le Massif du Sud, yes. And yeah, that that's one's like, much closer to the cottage than Le Massif is. Yeah, so that's the uh, that's like a double chair, 1,200 feet, one of yeah. those jobs. Yeah. Those are my favorite spots to go skiing. Yeah. I was talking like with uh, Corey Snyder. He's the captain of the U.S. Telemark team, or was, because he's retired okay. now. And we were talking about this place in New Hampshire called the Balsams Wilderness. Yeah. And it's like 1,600 feet high, one triple chair. It does have another chair, but that's for the beginner section. Yeah. And they consider it very busy if there's 25 cars in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's the most fun. There's yeah. a place in New York. There are a couple of places in like the southern Adirondack area ones, Macaulay Mountain. Oh, okay. I'm not familiar with that. No, I'm not. It's owned by a town. It's owned by the town of Old Forge. Oh, okay. Um and it's like six or seven hundred feet, one double chair, steep, super fun, fantastic yeah. tree skiing. They get like nuclear snow. There's really? no one there. You can get a cheeseburger for like five dollars. Right. You get Saranac Pale Ale for like three bucks. It's just like Oh yeah, you gotta love that. We went the down to- home. If you get a burger and a beer for eight dollars, like uh that's the spot to go. We we went I took my family to Snow Ridge. Yeah, so Snow Ridge is in turn, that's like yeah. probably 45 minutes from there, but uh, okay. they get also new for snow. That place is real. And the vertical is like 400 something feet. Yeah, but it, you know what? It, you go into the chalet there and it's like, this is the 1950s, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. So I, went, I went to Snow Ridge with one of my friends a couple of years ago and we were, we ran to the lodge in the morning. Like, I don't know, not, not first chair early. It was, <laughs> We went out the night before, so it wasn't the most productive morning, but we were there probably like 9.30. We get there, and in the lodge, it was a, it was an entire family. There was a grandma running. The grandma was running the kitchen with the granddaughter. The It seemed like the like 40-ish-year-old woman was running the ticket counter. Yeah. And there was another woman that came in, like, running a snowmobile, running around doing op stuff, and there was another guy out there plowing the family or plowing the lot. It was the whole family out there doing the thing. And it was just super cool to see three generations of one family running a ski area. And everybody there, it was all locals, like folks that live around like Boonville. Well, did did you see that? Did you see the uh, trailers that are there at the bottom of the hill? Either skiers stay in it or snowmobilers? 
and they're there for the winter because they they framed gable roofs over top of their trailers because <laughs> <laughs> yeah that area gets a ton of snowmobile traffic oh yeah yeah it's great because when i went i only counted eight snow guns yeah you know and i love how they groom there's one well there are a few of them but the one main run they only groom the center and then they leave the outside yeah. You know, for powder and all that sort of stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, I do like three passes with the groomer and call it a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that place is great. All So all of those places do such a good job. And all of yeah. the skiing at all of these small mom and pops, like Snow Ridge, I guess Macaulay's not a mom and pop because it's owned by the town. But it's but it's still small. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, I mean, the people who run the restaurant and the people who run the ski shop, like those are just locals doing it. And, uh like it's same thing, Platykill down right. in the southeast, like the Catskill region. Right. Like all of those places are just super fun, great skiing. I had a really fun time. I went to Platykill a couple of years ago. And I just had, it was right after they had a huge like four foot, five foot snow week. Um, and I drove down and I slept in my car in the parking lot. And I was at the bar, and the guy who owns the place, Laszlo, and I sat at the bar until all of the chairs were on the tables and <laughs> just had, like, a fantastic night of conversation with him and the one guy who was grooming the place and, like, doing ops. And, yeah, we just sat there and drank beer till like, 11 o'clock. Everybody was gone. People had vacuumed while we were sitting at the bar. <laughs> and it was just, like, a downhill mountain. The guy's kid was out running the groomer right. while he's sitting drinking at the bar waiting for his kid to finish so they could go home. Right. And it was, yeah. You, you'd you fit right in with my buddies because, like, lots of times we're sitting in the bars at uh, the clubs up here and the uh, people who are vacuuming and cleaning up, they're chasing us out, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, time to yeah, go it, home, it boys. funny because no, nobody's chasing him out. He's the Yeah, one, that's so. right. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh that was just like a super positive experience. And that's not an experience you're gonna have at Stone. No. No. You're gonna get kicked out before last call. And yeah. I don't know. No nobody owns that. I, yeah. I shouldn't say nobody, but yeah. It's owned by a, a, group a holding of people. Company. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's if you're if I'm gonna give my money to folks, I'd like it to be folks that are gonna use it appropriately and invest in themselves. Right. And not give it back to their shareholders. Yeah. You know what? It sounds like when I've had conversations with telemark skiers, we're all like-minded that way. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one thing. Hippies, punks, and misfits. I exactly. dive into that pretty good. That's, <laughs> that's it. I fit all three of those in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm a punk, but I'm a misfit and a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was a punk. I haven't been to a basement show in a while, but <laughs> I know some of the guys. Uh, the former president of Telemark Ski Ontario, he's a big punk guy, and I think we were doing uh, the the way the season ended last year in the COVID year, as I call it. Yeah, it, that doesn't count. I'm I'm taking that whatever time and removing it from my timeline. So yeah, it's everybody's like, talking about like, oh yeah, when we did that last year, but everything is actually just two years ago now. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's how I treat it. Last year is like 20, uh, 2020. So the way, you know, March break or March ended, you know, so we're like, oh, we don't get to drink beer anymore. So we started doing it on Zoom <laughs> and my buddy Jarl from, uh, you would love Jarl. He's, he is a huge, I, I did a podcast with him. 
and he's out in Eugene, Oregon. His old man owns a ski shop, and he grew up there. And it was a garage. It was his grandfather's uh, shell station or something like that. The the grandfather says, "We're gonna we're gonna do a we're gonna make a ski shop." And Jarl's dad goes, "He's like fourteen. He goes, yeah, I'll run it. You know, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. So he's got this wicked museum in his garage. It's 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 crazy. Wood skis, you you name it, just everything. Anyway, so when he saw what we were doing, he goes can I be part of that? I was like, yeah, sure. Then we got Josh on it. We got some guys from Colorado. We got somebody from Australia on. And and then one evening there was just me, Tony up here and Josh on, and they're nerding out on the punk scene. <laughs> yeah. 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 Punk scene's an interesting one. That's I mean, same thing. Uh, like same folks as Telmark skiers. They're yeah. all independently minded. That, yeah. That's it. Who... Independently minded. Yeah. Yeah, independently minded individuals who are nice and kind and will do anything to help you if you need it, but yeah. at the same time are working to better themselves and their community, yeah. which, yeah, like the community of punk rock is, I mean, all of these kind of subculture communities have those similar flavors. Like right. yeah. BMX and punk rock are pretty intertwined um skateboarding and I like, just, all of that stuff is so closely connected yeah and all of those threads like certain individuals will pick threads from each of those right and i mean nobody's just into one thing right right so i know that's i just did a a podcast interview with uh, some friends and uh, i met them uh, met her through a, an automotive event that was held at pearson international airport on the runway, they had closed that runway down, but planes were taking off and landing on the adjacent runways and that sort of stuff. <laughs> and I found out that they full-time RV as a family. So I was yeah. like, you know what? Uh, I, I want to check this out. I want to talk to them and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's the same sort of thing in that community that people care for each other and they're, they're willing to help and, and do whatever, you know, like, you know, most telemark skiers. I remember the first time going to the U S telemark, uh, teams, um, went first winter training and it's down in Mount snow. And this woman, Tabby Freeman put it out there and says, yeah, we're going to do this. Anybody can come. And I said, well, can I come? I'm from Canada. And she's like, yeah. She goes, you can crash at my place. I was like, cool. Yeah. So my kids are young, right? They're girls. And they're like, where are you going, Dad? Well, I'm going to southern Vermont. It's like nine hours from here. Who are you staying with? I was like, I don't know. Some woman, you know, like dirt bag. Just carry your sleeping bag and sleep on the floor, right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. where in Ontario are you? I am almost directly across the lake from Rochester. Okay. Yeah. So you're so north of Toronto? No, I'm right on Lake Ontario, uh, 60 miles east of Toronto. Okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think straight, uh, well, I'm kind of in between. Do you know where Wilson is? There's a big Wilson. geothermal uh, power Wilson, plant. Wilson, New York? Wilson, Wilson, New York, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm kind of in between Wilson and Rochester. Okay. Yeah, cool. I've ridden around Lake Ontario four times on my bicycle, so oh, nice. I, know, I know the area quite well. No, know, know where you skied as a as yeah, a college Oswego. student in Oswego, Tug Hill, probably. 
Yeah, yeah. Oswego, that's uh, that's an interesting area. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's cool. So, you know what? We're getting near the end of uh, an hour here, and it's been really interesting talking with you, learning about ski manufacturing and ski design and that sort of stuff. Yeah, thank I can't, you. I can't wait to uh, get down to Ellicottville, and we can meet up and rip some turns. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, Telefest is usually oh, yeah. the end of February. It's yeah. usually the last weekend in February. So. Telestock, right? Yeah, Telestock. Yeah. Um, Telestock's always super fun. Were you down um, there not this past year or the previous year? Yep. Okay. All right, so I was, I was down. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll have to look out for each other. Yeah, we're <laughs> so they do the picture, and I'm always in it, but I'm kind of in the back because I always skip school to go. <laughs> See, I would. they always had it on a Friday and I didn't want to skip school and leave the country because I'd get in big doo-doo if they ever found that out, right? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's always on a Friday, so I have to skip school for it, and I do. But uh, Well, I always I call know. it the telemark flu. <laughs> yeah, you know, cool. I got the telemark flu. There was I was helping out because I used to run the national telemark team up here in Canada, yep. and we had some World Cup racing in Vermont, and I said to my principal, I said – you know what, you give athletes, Olympic athletes and national team athletes, time paid away from work. I'm the guy who does all the work for them. You should give me the time off too. And she goes, okay. So I said, how are we going to do this? She goes, well, take a personal day on the Friday, call in sick on the Monday, because those are the two travel days. And I was going to do it for two consecutive weekends. But something happened, <clears throat> and they moved the second weekend race to midweek. And I had to come home, but there was a snow day. We had a big ice storm up here, and so I couldn't get home. So, you know, I was down there for an extra day. So it was it was really good. It was uh, lots of fun, and got to meet a lot of the people that I meet uh, or follow on uh, Instagram. I think that's kind of the coolest thing. Yeah, yeah, making putting actual faces. To yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, so Jonathan, you can find him at Old Growth Ski Co. On Instagram. on Instagram and oldgrowthskiko.com. Right on. This has been lots of fun. And yeah, uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to talk, and it was nice meeting you. I'm glad yeah. that you reached out to do it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah this you, is great. I've, I've only reached out to a couple of people that I don't really know a whole, whole lot about, so this has been great. But I'm going to yeah. tell you, I'm going to end the uh, interview here, but don't sign off yet, okay? Sounds good. Hey, crew, I just want to thank Jonathan Capozzi of Old Growth Ski Co. in Buffalo, New York, for spending an hour with me and geeking out on carpentry, education, and most importantly, his skis. Anyways, you should check him out on Instagram, Old Growth Ski Co., and on, on uh, oldgrowthskico.com, and he's got some great wood-topped, wood-built, handcrafted, skis and specifically for telemark skiers anyways thanks again for tuning in and uh check back later in a few days for the next episode peace out